Am I talking into the mic? I hope so. Look, I can't control that. <laughs> I have to look at my notes, so I can't be constantly monitoring you. Okay, okay. I'm, you it have looks to good. monitor yourself. You know, it looks you good. You want to know why? Good. Why? You know what? Because uh-uh. you're an adult. Oh, I'm tired of adulting these days. Oh. Okay, I'm sorry. <clears throat> yeah, me too. Very sorry. Anyway, hey, how are you? We're ya? gonna start with some follow up. I don't care how I am because follow up is happening right now. <laughs> okay, go for it. In the past, we've gone back and had to relay the fact that we're not doctors. We're not scientists. We're not lawyers. So don't mm. take advice from us on these important issues. And mm. for the love of God, we're not daters either. So anything we say about dating should also be completely disregarded because we mentioned that a few episodes ago. Actually, I guess it's been more than a few episodes. A while back. You know, follow-up takes a little while dating. to get going. Yeah, we talked about it a few episodes. I know it seems it's probably like a month ago now because we had two interviews. It was like t- before we did two interviews. So it was like eons ago. It's like Oh, in a, I see. It's almost like in a different season if we had seasons, which we don't have seasons because I don't we believe should. in seasons. I, when you do the editing, you can do it. You can have I'm seasons. not working on anything other than okay. what we're doing right now. This is enough. And then also, again, many episodes ago, right, right. this may have been the same episode as we talked about dating accidentally. It wasn't mm-hmm. intentional. It was just kind of accidental. We were doing follow-up on that horrible Orlando Museum. Orlando Museum of Art. And, and I said... Their website's so bad, but hey, you know who's got a really great website is the Met. Mm-hmm. The Met, Catherine. Mm-hmm. What happened? The Met is not MoMA. I thought you said Museum of Modern Oh, shit. In the episode and in the show notes you sent me, <laughs> you kept talking about the MoMA. I'm like, geez, she's not listening to me even remotely. <laughs> oh, and Catherine? Because I, I, well, I'm a member of MoMA. You're not allowed not to listen to me because you're not my wife. <laughs> Only my wife is allowed to not listen to me. Um, mea culpa. Can we change oh, it? Boy, I are. Oh, you think I was going to let that go through? <laughs> oh, I, I know the Met. It's the Met that has the amazing website. It d- you know, it actually does. But I had MoMA bookmarked, and it was just easy. Ah, exactly. It was right? easier just to go to your bookmarks than to listen to your co-host. Well, because I'm a member of MoMA. You're also a member of this podcast. <laughs> oh, God. I'm sorry. Wait, w- would you take me more seriously if you were paying me? No. Because that's an option. No, when there's no money being generated by this endeavor. Oh, oh no, there is. You keep is buying there? stickers. Oh, I bought stickers, yeah. Yes, yes, I did. I gave them all away, too. I put my first down payment on the Lamborghini because of all the stickers you've been buying. Ah, okay. Well, sorry about that. I'm glad you fixed it. It's a one twelve scale Lamborghini, but, you know, whatever. Perfect. It's probably like a model, like a model car. Yeah, it's an RC, radio control. I see. Electric. Well, that's the funny thing. I had an electric car back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. It's called, to me, a grasshopper. <laughs> And it's a 110 scale off-road buggy. Okay, what else are we following up on? Anything? This is a little embarrassing. Uh-oh. The last podcast we did was actually, I thought, really impressive. It's probably the most important one we've done because we were talking to a sitting legislator from Correct. the Arizona legislature mm-hmm. and a Senate candidate. But I didn't even know the Senate candidate was going to be there. I didn't know who you she didn't? was. I didn't. Someone didn't tell me. Oh, I thought Mary. No, Mary said, well, it was, it was, um, the jury was out whether she would be there or not because she had been feeling ill. 
And so it was like if she would right. join or not. I was thrilled. I was hoping she would join. Everyone was. And I was really happy to see her there. I'm sorry I couldn't participate more. It just but, caught um, me a little bit as by surprise that it, I didn't know. Well, I think it was a good podcast. And I think it is important when we cover the local issues because I do believe all politics is local. I don't think we should do that again, though, because it made me angry. I got really angry during the I podcast. I got angry, too. <laughs> and they did pass that bill. I mean, um, Ducey signed it yesterday. Which one? Um, about the school vouchers. Oh, well, that was only one of them. One of the many insults. Yeah, one of the, that really got to me, though. That really got to me. Yes, yeah, it's anyway. crummy. <coughs> mm-hmm. More handouts so, to the wealthy. Yeah, you know, I think he did a really great job with that podcast. So everyone take a listen. And I've just been a little preoccupied lately with some personal things and spending a lot of time. Just a little bit. Yeah, just just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah, just really overwhelmingly bit. You know, you know, I've been spending some time in hospitals with a family member, my dad. And um, what I've noticed, James, is an incredible amount of plastic wastage. It's astonishing. Was it just the plastic wastage that uh, bothered you or was it the human wastage and all the other wastage and time wastage and... Well, it's time. It's like everything. It's like the slow walk in, like the whole thing. I don't want to go into that. Let's just focus on, for some reason, the plastics really got to me. When I was in nursing, they used to bring like little bins to like wash your face or like little spitty things that look like a boomerang, you know, to rinse your teeth and like a little like pink. You know, none of the stuff has changed since I was at the bedside eons ago. I think the plastic's maybe a little thinner. It's not quite as robust. Maybe because of COVID. And I keep hearing, oh, because of COVID, we have to do this. Because of COVID, we have to do that. And they keep bringing in pitchers. Like, I just wanted to fill up my dad's pitcher of water. And like, no, no, we have to, there's a special thing because of COVID. We got to get a new insert. And instead of just coming with a new insert, they'll bring an entire setup. And so at one point, he had like four, five, six pitchers at the bedside. And I'm like, what are you going to do with these? Like, oh, nothing that comes into this room can leave this room unless you want to take it home and reuse it because it has his germs on it now, so toss it. And so literally, I mean, every day, if you look in the trash bins, there are like buckets of, you know, these little square buckets like you would wash yourself with and all of the pink plastic, like everything, it just keeps going in. I mean, we could probably fill a landfill a little section of one with just the stuff that's been coming out of my dad's room for the last three weeks. And it's astonishing to me. I have never seen so much waste. And I can't imagine like this over the amount of, just in that one building, the amount of um, rooms and the same kind of processes going on. So I don't know if they incinerate it or if it just goes to the landfill, but it is plastic, plastic, and more plastic. And it's really creepy. I don't know if it's incinerated or going to landfill because at at the hospital you had different streams of waste, right? You have some waste that's biohazard, literally biohazard, so you can't mix that in with regular waste. Exactly. Right. The sharps, you know, the needles, anything that has a needle on it or was close to a needle gets in the sharps bin. So they have a lot of different they have a lot of different streams. I I don't know if any of that gets recycled or if it just goes to the incinerator uh, uh, or if it goes to the landfill. But I think as a protest and as maybe uh, performance art, if that happens again, Mm -hmm. in the corner of the room, you just start a bonfire and just burn all the stuff (laughs) in the room. See how that that gets on. I should have probably just kept stacking them up. But I don't know what bio waste uh, like touched that. You know, I don't know what was happening with them when they were in the garbage. I wasn't going to go digging. You could build a little little fort in the corner. Oh, we could have built an entire condominium. And, you know, and then you look at the plastic gloves and the masks, and it just started me thinking about how much plastic waste there is. 
Well, Catherine, and I have a question for you. What? What would happen if we stopped using plastic entirely? <laughs> that is a great question. And that kind of actually did go through my mind. It's like, how could they do this more efficiently in a hospital setting? I don't know that you could. I don't know that we can. I wasn't thinking necessarily of just a hospital. I was actually right? trying to segue into the article that we're going to talk about because right, I right. literally just said that, or the title of the article, which was, what would happen if we stopped using right. plastic waste? Or plastic, right. plastic that was waste. Plastic what would happen waste. if we stopped using plastic waste, Catherine? <laughs> plastic waste. Oh, God. Sorry. I read that article and I just, I found it very, it was very, very interesting. Thanks for sending that to me. Because this all really ties in. Right. It was surprisingly good for the uh, for a BBC article. Surprisingly good. Surprisingly good. We'll link it in the show notes. I was astonished at how much just sits around. I, you know, there's this theory with the little recycle logos on the bottom of all plastics that are allegedly recyclable. <laughs> the assumption, and you know what assumptions are, you know. Like you would think that there was some attempt to recycle this stuff. And, and apparently, according to this article, far less gets recycled, if anything. They were saying in the article that like since 2015, like of 8,300 million tons of virgin plastic that was produced, about 6,300 million tons is still with us somewhere. Yeah, some of it gets recycled. Some of it. But not all of it can be recycled to begin with. And then... If you were really serious about being careful with this stuff, the most important aspect of plastic, mm-hmm. the plastic life cycle, mm-hmm. is to make sure it stays inside of the cycle. And what I mean by that is don't drop it in the desert. Don't drop it out of your car window or whatever. It's very important. If we use it, it has to be kept in the system. And that you know goes from being made to being used, going into the trash can and going mm-hmm. into the landfill. It came from the earth. It has to go back from to the earth. Because if it doesn't, then it gets out into the environment and then breaks down into microplastics, which is just probably going to wind up killing us all. But I think it probably thing. will. Even if it's not recycled, it needs to go into a landfill so it can be sequestered. Right. How long does it take it to break down? Oh, that it won't. The article did. It won't if you bury it. Down? Yeah, if you bury it. It's not gonna, now, force... Like, like, you know, the dinosaurs turned into oil, so and that was that required force and time, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the pressure did that. Uh, so, yeah, eventually uh, the oil or the plastics will be broken down again into oil. Mm-hmm. So in 50 million years, we can go back and pump the stuff out again and start using it again. Yeah, and start, a, like, polluting the earth again. It's a little bit of a slower recycle system, mm-hmm. 40 or 50 million years, but right. eventually it's going to break down into oil again. So depressing. With You know, with some needles in there as well. <laughs> but weren't you kind of blown away in the and article? And some baby that, poop. What? Oh God! Like how much plastic has infringed on our life? I'm very aware of that. As an industrial designer, I, I'm I'm just very very aware of all the materials around me and what everything is mm-hmm. made of. So it is not lost on me how much our lives we are adrift in a sea of plastic, mm-hmm. and it has made our lives so much better. And uh, we have be, we are safer. And have a much higher standard of living because of plastic, because it's so easy and cheap to make all this stuff, and it's so mm-hmm. much safer to use. For just one example, I knew this crazy woman who mm-hmm. used to, and not you, another oh, okay. crazy woman, oh, okay. <laughs> used to insist on getting the water coolers at work. She had one at home. So oh, I right, right. Like, I think it's like a five-gallon container that you put on those. Right, and I have one. Almost all of them are plastic, but mm-hmm. if you really insist on it, you can get glass ones. Yes, you can. Which are insanely heavy because you already have five gallons of water, which Correct. is 40 pounds. 
then you add a, probably another 20 pounds of glass glass mm-hmm. in there. So you now, you, now you're trying to wield something that's 60 pounds. Right. She had someone delivering this to her home and the guy dropped it because, you know, it's heavy and hard to carry mm-hmm. and cut himself. Oh, man. And obviously had to go to the emergency room. So it's more dangerous. And the environmental impact of that was rather than just having a regular delivery, the, his entire day was sh- shot to hell. And mm-hmm. he had to go to the emergency room and incur all the additional plastic usage there and all the additional expense of that. <laughs> right. So, plus, glass is a terrible material to use and is a very bad replacement for plastic because just off the bat, the amount of energy used to create glass is mm-hmm. astronomical. You would not believe how much energy is required to make glass. You have to melt rock, essentially, right, exactly. to make glass. And if you want to recycle that, guess what? You have to melt it again. Mm-hmm. So recycling glass isn't great. Actually, when I was in Europe in in the early 90s, mm-hmm. and down in Italy, you get a bottle of Orangina, you know, a little bottle of right. soda, what they right, consider right. soda. I don't know if I consider it soda because I thought it was actually palatable, and I hate soda. So most of them were beat to hell because they would reuse the glass bottles. Mm. they're not recycling them they're just reusing them great which is a lot better than than recycling them because well, yeah yeah i mean as long as they're cleaning them properly etc well it's italy so i'm sure they're prob- doing it perfectly probably not no come on what have you been to italy i think they would do it perfectly i expect the germans to be able to clean stuff but not the italians <laughs> oh, not, it's not really their thing <laughs> oh god and I was just reminded, like, when they were talking about this, and they kind of did a little revisit of, um, you know, back to 19, early 1900s, 1905-ish, whatever, mm-hmm. talking about the first plastics and Bakelite jewelry. And when I was helping my friend, um, actually, over at McAlpine's, you know, we were doing the stuff in the vintage store, and there were, she had a beautiful array of the Bakelite. Bakelite. Um, <laughs> Bakelite. <laughs> Bakelite bracelets. I just love them. But I never wanted to wear one because I know they also have formaldehyde and asbestos in some oh, of those fine. earlier. Come on, baths. relax. I think it's beautiful. I think it's warming. I w- it's so fragile, you know. But I think that is a, some of the first plastic e things. Yeah, that, but that's not really plastic. I mean, the plastics no. didn't really get going to the fifties, which is kind of astonishing when you think about it. Plastics as we know them today, and in their mm-hmm. usage and their material makeup really didn't start until the 50s so it's only been since it's only been 70 years since we've really been using this stuff and it's now completely inundated our world Mm -hmm. that's a little scary it's very scary and there's no end in sight according to how i read this this scenario can we really have a world without this i mean what do you think we absolutely could this is essentially a fixable problem it just requires intelligence and sacrifice all right Mm -hmm. we have to rely on humans to do that so i guess that's not a solvable problem Right, right. Humans I mean, don't c- seem good at intelligence or sacrifice, at least in groups. Individually, they can be good at it, but individually, not as groups. right? Because I was, I was thinking about you know how I grew up, like you know I was raised by, you know actually immigrants from Italy, and when they were talking about the food packaging and the shorter supply chains, and the fruits and vegetables, and they're like, yeah, like even in the cans, there's like a plastic liner. liner. That now allegedly doesn't contain BPA, so it doesn't leach into your food, et cetera, et cetera. And they're like, so you'd actually have to take your tomatoes home and cook them. And that's all we ever did. My grandmother always canned tomatoes. Right, you know, right, we had right. A huge but garden and you're looking at the end section of it, the final mile. Uh-huh. But getting the, the tomatoes from the farm that may be in Argentina all the way to the grocery store relies on plastic. It really does. 
And so that's the thing. And like, unless you're growing your own, like you'd have to really wind the clock back to the, I don't know, 19th century to some extent. And that's not a bad idea, growing your own. But in Phoenix, that would in, uh, that oh. would increase our water usage to a point that might be that might break it. It's kind of like kind of like my dad's hospitalization. You fix one problem and you break another. We could stop using plastics, but the the cost would be immensely high. On the other hand, I do have a lot of faith in humans and in businesses to mm-hmm. to solve problems like this. Because if you work mm-hmm. hard enough at it, you can fix the problem. Right. This is a bad analogy, but the internal combustion engine, you know, the thing in your car. Right. That is an absolutely miserable, terrible design. It's inefficient. It breaks down constantly. It is just, you know, you're making explosions to create a linear motion. And then you're trying to take that linear motion and turn it into a rotational motion. So it's just an absolutely miserable design. But because humans have been working on it and it's been th- we've been throwing our best engineering resources at it for over 100 years... It's gotten really good. So you can take a bad idea and make it really good if you really put enough effort into it. So sure, this is solvable, but it's going to take a lot of effort. And I don't know if we're up for it. Okay, I don't know if we're up for it, James. But if if anyone's half up for it, I think any (laughs) shot at this would be good. And I do think that there are scenarios and situations probably will, you know, cannot be dealt with or cannot go plastic free. But I think that there are situations where we can... Right, so we have to look carefully at what we're doing. There are some areas we can roll back more easily than others. Going to the store to buy water in small plastic bottles is really kind of dumb. You don't need to do that. You can just get a water bottle and refill it. And there are some things we can't change, like footwear. Again, this is one of the reasons I like this article, Mm because it took specific examples. It really broke it down. Mm -hmm. And looked at them very carefully and said, you know, we simply don't have enough cows to make leather shoes for everyone. And Mm -hmm. cows are not the thing we want to deal with right now because they are terrible for the environment because of the methane they generate. So we want want fewer cows, but we also don't want to walk around barefoot. So we're probably going to have to, well, one thing, maybe you can just keep your shoes for a little bit longer and not buy as many and Mm -hmm. buy better shoes that last longer. Mm -hmm. So that's one one solution. But we're not going to get plastics out of our shoes or, for that matter, our clothes because 62% of textile fabrics are plastic. Correct. Correct. Oh, like you know. Correct. You're just. No, I did know that. I did know that because I I was I used to buy a lot of clothes. Um, One thing I did ages ago. You're part of the problem. I was part of the problem, and I actually engaged in fast fashion. Pardon me. Um, I did. (laughs) It's like we're going to string you up after this. Oh my! Oh my God. On that note, should we talk about any art? Well, the only other thing I wanted to mention, the only thing that really surprised me about the article was mm-hmm. a study they did on the reusing stainless steel containers for takeaway food, mm-hmm. takeout. Stainless steel is very difficult to make, has mm-hmm. a lot of energy, has a lot of material resources, but it only takes 13 uses of that stainless steel to offset its carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. So you use it 13 times. And you basically paid for yourself from a carbon footprint perspective, as opposed to using the styrofoam, which has a much smaller carbon footprint because it's almost free to make. It takes so little energy to make and so little mm-hmm. material to make. That That's one other small change we could make in our takeout food. That's a great idea. Are people, were people willing to do that? I don't know. I don't know. But I know, I know one thing people are willing to do. What? Listening to crummy K-pop. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, God. Listening to K-pop. Wonderful, great, fantastic, amazing K-pop. Yes. I just wish you'd listen. I tried, goddammit. Don't you tell me (laughs) 
you wish I I would do that. I tried to do that, and I watched the video, and I was utterly confused and baffled. And I did no, thank you. Are we speaking of BTS? Is you're that what you're speaking talking? of BTS because you do I'm this to me every freaking week. I'm not speaking of BTS as BTS. I'm speaking of BTS carving out Kim Namjoon. Yeah, you'd like to carve interest. him out, wouldn't you? No, I think he's. I think they're all very beautiful young men. Ugh. And in and they're all talented and you know, I'm a big well, I, you fan, know, you know, I'm army. Don't get me don't don't cross army here. First thing you need to do is prove to me that they're actually men because I've seen these people and I can't tell if oh, they're stop. men. Stop. No, we are not going there. Show me a beard, that's all. Show me a beard. One beard. Is that so hard? I think there are some pictures. <laughs> I'll I'll grab some off the off the Instagram post. Anyway, getting back to Kim Namjoon, he's quite the art enthusiast. And I told you before that I was following his Instagram account, which is archive, R-K-I-V-E. And I'll link it in the show notes. And I came across this lovely article in um, Art News that said, you know, about BTS's RM has sent K-pop fans flooding to art museums thanks to his Instagram. And I just thought this was delightful. And this is what I wanted to talk to you about before. And you poo-pooed it. So you read the article and you saw some of the stuff. I don't know if you checked. You did check out his Instagram. And I have been living vicariously through this young man's adventures in museums. And I'm loving it. I'm, I'm there for it. I just love it. So go. Debunk. Go. My, Where do you want me to go? go? Do you want me to leave right now? Because I kind of feel like leaving right now. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather go to Mars and talk about BTS, but okay. <laughs> Stop. Okay, go ahead. I mean, at least I could talk to the rovers, the poor rovers. The poor rovers. Debunk. I don't know what. I, not debunk. It's not even debunk. Poo poo. Maybe. Yeah, I could poo poo it, but I can't really poo poo it because what he's doing is he's talking about art. That's mm-hmm. fine. And I think it's great in the high end art world where this these are the circles he's running in. Mm-hmm. The other people there are fraudulent scamsters. So he's not. At least he's got that going for him. I don't know why. You know, there's no reason not to follow him as opposed to other jerks in the in the high-end art mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. So he's got that going for him. Mm-hmm. He's not a scammer. No. no. And he does, he, he admits that he's not good at multitasking. He says, I'm not good at mul- multitasking, but I'm a person who digs deep once I get interested. Right now, mm-hmm. I'm into art, which on one hand, yeah, great, great. Guess what? Nobody mm-hmm. is actually good at multitasking. So it's nice that you actually uh, recognize that. But it also seemed a little bit superficial that... Right now he's in into art. No, I don't think it's just right now he's into art. I think he's been but into art for a while. But that's what he said. Well, right it's, now it's, he's into he art. Make, I mean, he makes it sound like it's a passing fad. Oh, it may be. I mean, you know, who knows? He does have a collection. He said he would like to start a. I don't think he gets to tell me that or suggest that art is a passing fad. I yeah, I didn't take that away from it. Well, I'm a negative person, so that's what I read into it. Yeah, I didn't take that. I thought, like, right now, I mean, I just accepted it as what he said for face failure. Like, right now, I'm into art. I just enjoy the posts. I enjoy that he went to the National Gallery of Art in Washington. and I, I, I can't criticize him too much, again, because the peers, the people in the high-end art market are, are criminals and, and garbage people. So <laughs> he's not a garbage person, except that why is he famous other than he can sing? Yeah. That's not good enough? No, it's not good enough. There are much more important people doing much more important work that actually affect your life That whose name you don't know. I mean, can you name your your, your state legislator? Judy Schwiebert. Okay, well, you can, sure. But most people can't. But they can name their favorite singer. 
Right. Well, I think that he is an artist in terms of singing, and he's interested in visual art also. And because, you know, I also have found pop music other than, I mean, I just love K-pop. I like the energy. I love the dancing. I wish I could do some of those moves. I mean, I'm just, you know, you try and you fall on your ass. At least I do. But like the superficiality of some of the pop music even, you know, in this country or whatever country, it's like, you know, it is superficial in, in a lot of ways. And I think what this young man is doing is he's he's just taking his fame and kind of not addressing that superficiality, but like digging deeper. And he's opening up a fan base to just some really amazing work and having take a look at this. Like there was like like a BTS effect. And some of these art galleries are seeing incredible amounts of New visits, new, well, some, new visitors. They, uh, some of them, not they, they all of said them. There was a moderate bump. Some said they couldn't measure anything, any bump at all. That's fine. Uh, either way, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not right, really that important. Right, the BTS bump. He, that's right. If he wants to talk about it, that's good, mm-hmm. I guess. I guess it's good in, on mm-hmm. the whole. I think it's good. It's kind of gets a shrug. I give it a shrug. You give it a shrug? Oh, is that our new scale? I mean, a it's shrug? not like he's really going out and discovering new talent. He's basically following what's what's popular within the art world, right? Right. He's he's uncovering it and he's exposing well, it. He's, he's, he's showing not really, us. But not he's, uncovering it, but I mean, to his fans, to whoever his fans are. And my, I don't know what the fan base is. I'm sure it's pretty varied. If but, I want to take a know. negative view of that, I could say that's kind of self-serving. You know, he's trying to make himself look important and interesting by looking at no. art. No, don't be so jaded, James. I'm, I'm saying if I if I want to take a negative look at it, that's mm-hmm. that would be the negative take on it. He's an art enthusiast and collector, and he's showing us his his experiences, and I'm grateful. And I just think it's it's interesting. And like I didn't ever pay attention to like the Rothko Gallery, or the, and now I'm like intrigued. And there's a whole list of things that I do want to see when I can start traveling again. Yeah, Rothko's know. not really on my list of successful artists. Rothko, he likes Rothko. He seemed like he was, you know, well, I'm just saying, Rothko seems like at the time he may have had a moment of interest, a little bit like Warhol. I mean, if Warhol had a moment of interest mm-hmm. in the early 60s, like 63, say. Right. Uh, but it's not really important anymore. And I kind of feel like Rothko's the same way, and they're just, they're dinosaurs that we don't really need to pay that much attention to anymore because they're just, I don't feel like they're relevant anymore. Oh, I like Rothko. As for the people he's following, I think Donald Judd is more interesting. Not that mm-hmm. he's he's a minimalist, so again, he's kind of superficial. Not superficial, but a shallow is the word I would go for. I, I, I find some interest in the work of Donald Judd, but mm-hmm. it doesn't get that, that deep. You know, it'd be nice if he was uncovering new artists and exposing actually interesting and diverse work. Well, he does on his Instagram account, and there's a lot of Korean art also, so... You know, give, give, give it a shot. Follow him on Instagram. As I think, I'm not going to follow him on Instagram. Uh, as I, I think do. you were alluding I to, I, I, I think you were alluding to earlier his statement that someday I would like to create a public space related to art, which I think would not be in the form of a gallery or a museum. Mm-hmm. I can totally vibe with that. Mm-hmm. Right. What would it be in the form of, though? Well, I think it would be a gallery, but it would be a private gallery and it wouldn't be the hoity-toity galleries that we have today, you know. In my imagination, I'm superimposing my own vision. Okay. And this was something I talked to you a little while ago about creating a list of artists, you know, modern artists from, and my, it's kind of a stretch for modern, but like maybe from, from the 1800s on. Anybody who is speaking in the art language that we have today. Mm-hmm. So like Van Gogh is old, obviously dead, but uh, still has a modern vocabulary to it. Right, right. And maybe it starts with the impressions. Maybe it goes a little, bit, a little bit back before that. And the idea is to create a list of artists that we're really 
actually genuinely interested in. And if we had the money and the means to create our own space to show work, to have our own collection mm-hmm. and to show that work, what would that look like? And I think that's mm-hmm. probably kind of what he's getting at too. Mm-hmm. Because the museums and the galleries are all so political and so driven by money that you're not really seeing a well-curated exhibit anywhere you go. It's just there's right. so many other forces at play rather than just the pure expression of art. You know, what really are the great works of art? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I agree with him on that point. Right. And his right. other point that I really enjoyed was a quote from him. The visual experience feels more complete. I'm often moved by the fact that I can see and feel the real mm-hmm. textures or physical existence of the work from the time when the artists were alive. And that's when you actually see a work of art. Seeing work online is not the same thing as seeing work in a museum. That is absolutely true. And we talked about that several podcasts ago. I like that feeling of like when you can actually almost feel the, like you're, you're almost transported back into the time when the artist made the work. You can feel the energy coming off the piece. At least I can. Right. And, you know, you look at the brush strokes, you look at the energy, and I can sense the energy in a way that you can never get online. And that's so. art. Right there. That is art. That, that, right. that emotional connection, that being able to feel something like that, that mm-hmm. that's very, very mm-hmm. powerful. Right. Well, thanks for discussing this. I mean, now I've been obsessed with his, his Instagram him. feed. You've been obsessed with him? No, not him. He's You sure? I'm sure. Okay. No, I like all of them as a group, and I will support all of them individually as individual artists. But I think that him, like exposing his interest and showing us this and kind of expanding the fan base's knowledge of things that they may never have been exposed to, I think is very valid and very beautiful. And I'm grateful. And his fan base should be grateful too, to be exposed to things that they may never have thought about, may never have experienced. And I think it's neat. I'd I, I like it. What I would be interested in seeing is someone actually doing it, doing some research on his relationship with his fan base and how he uses it, because that's really interesting that there's a generation of artists and singers and songwriters and people who are famous today act very mm-hmm. differently than people who were famous 50 years ago. Right. Mu- much more reclusive in those days uh, and had their images managed mm-hmm. by, mostly by the studios. Mm-hmm. But these days, a modern celebrity has the ability to, to interact with and manipulate and, and guide their audiences. And, and Absolutely. I'd be interested to see someone do a, a research and really dive into how he's interacting with his fan base. As they but, say, mm-hmm. namjuning is, is a term that they use for people <laughs> who follow who follow this guy mm-hmm. and try to mimic his actions. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, they do his his interests, biking and going to art museums and stuff like that. So it's mm-hmm. it, that's very strange to me. It's almost <laughs> well, it it's like a It cult is a little creepy. Yeah, I I yeah, there's like yeah, I'm 50/50 on namjuning. I think it's a cute term. Which is why I'd like to see a study in it. Like, what's going on here? What's the, what are the psychological... Right. Uh, well, of course, I don't know if you'd be able to break down the psychological implications without doing a really huge research project and talking to thousands of people. Right. Well, you know, they do... Uh, just real quick, in terms of, of, of BTS, they have like a site called Weavers, W-E-V-E-R-S-E, and then there's a V-Live. And they have, I guess through the course of their... I'm a fairly new army, if you will, since the pandemic, I really caught on to their music and their whole vibe and started following them on different platforms. They have had the opportunity or taken the opportunity to really reach out to their fans. And so, and a lot of times, like when they would be at award shows, instead of going to like the after parties that we would know, they would 
you know, do a V Live with their fans and talk. And so there's this almost like constant dialogue where people say they got to know the quote unquote boys. I don't see them as boys. I think they've had a really unique opportunity to engage with their fan base that other people, you know, in different generations did not. And they took it and kind of made it almost a separate art form in terms of this engagement with their fans. You feel like you're talking to them and you can... Well, that's a little bit dangerous, don't you think? Text them while they're... I think it's all very well moderated. I don't I don't know how dangerous it is, you know? Well, but, if you feel like you're talking to them, you feel like you have a personal relationship, I think that could get a little bit dangerous. There is probably a line there. Sure, there, there's a line there. There's always that, that fine line in the sand. But all I'm saying is like you were commenting on the on the differences in, in generational celebrity. And I think they've taken it to like a different level. And so for people to follow him and say they're Namjooning, it kind of goes with the whole flow of what I've just experienced recently, like I'm saying, since like 2020. They're not the vanguard of this this movement. You know, the, the, the whole influencer movement has mm-hmm. started with, uh, I, went, I don't know where it started, but it's certainly well established by now. Gwyneth Paltrow has taken advantage of that too. Mm-hmm. A disturbing level. Yeah, she has, hasn't she? Right. No, but I'm just talking about their engagement with their fans. So you're saying what yeah, is they, what you I'm, know. That's the same thing. Yeah. That's what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. So anyway, Nam Juning or not, it's like I'm I think it's a great thing that he's exposing his his fans to different visual artists, um, a lot of Korean art, um, things that I find interesting and I really can't wait to go to Korea. My trip got you move to Italy. Post- you gotta figure out where you're going. Well, I'm moving to Italy, but I will go to South Korea at some point in this time. My my niece and I are going. She wants to go see her homeland, and we're I'm supportive of that, so we're going. So you're moving but, to Italy via North Korea. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Not North Korea, South please. Korea. Korea. South Korea. Yeah, Korea. So okay. anyway, no, I mean, I do want to go there, right. and I follow a lot of artists from, okay. from South Korea. So enough of this, and let's just, let's just move on. Thanks, Kim Namjoon. Next podcast will be from Italy. Oh, I wish. Yeah. yeah I wish. Anyhow, have a great day, James. Unlikely, but I'll try. Yeah, me too. That's kind of where I'm at. Yep. Fingers crossed, man.